Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. It's great to be back doing another episode, and we have another good one today with guest Cormac Kinney, the founder and CEO of Diamond Standard. Diamond Standard has created the first commoditized diamond product to trade in its own spot exchange. In our conversation, Cormac talks about the potential growth in diamond investing, the unique product that he created in response to the challenges of trading diamonds, and some insight on the present day supply and demand in the marketplace. To get more information about Diamond Standard and their unique investment products, make sure you visit buydiamondstandard.com. That's B-U-Y diamondstandard.com. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Cormac. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's great to be back. Uh, we have a, a real exciting company. We have the CEO and founder of Diamond Standard, Cormac Kinney. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here, Horatio. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's so cool. I know you guys have been on our radar, the Alts radar for a while. Our co-founders are even going to invest in, in, in the company. You're going to buy some of your products. They're big fans. And what you're doing is sort of something new for diamonds, right? You're creating a, a market for diamonds, uh, something that's been tried before, hasn't really been uh, successful in the past, but you really are kind of solving some problems that you've seen in the past uh, and coming at it from a new angle. And I was just wondering if you could kind of give us an overview of Diamond Standard. Yeah, so it's interesting. Everybody knows diamonds, right? It's, um, you know, you see them in every mall across America. You know, you see gold and silver and investors have always been able to invest in precious metals and either use them as a, as a way to store wealth, as a way to hedge against inflation, a way to speculate, you know, is gold going up or down? You can, you can trade on that. But diamonds were always left out because the problem is every diamond is a little bit different, which means nobody knows what each diamond is worth. There's no price transparency, as they say. And if you want to trade diamond, there's really no liquidity. Unless you're a retail store, you can't easily sell diamonds. And because of that, investors could never build a position. Or in, in the parlance of a, like a firm like a BlackRock, they can't mark to market. And if you can't tell your investors what their investment is worth, you just can't invest in that asset. So diamonds were always left behind. And our solution was using a lot of computer science. And, you know, that's my background is trading and trading systems. We figured out a way to make a commodity out of diamonds. And that's what this is. This is a a diamond standard bar. These two bars are a little bit different. They contain different diamonds, but they always add up to equal the same carat weight, color, clarity, all the different factors of diamonds are always the same in every bar, which means these are equal. And since they're equal, they can all trade at a market price. And that price is on Bloomberg, for example. And so an investor can hold diamonds for the very first time and take advantage of this natural resource as an investment. So you've basically created sort of like the equivalent of a gold bar, right? With with the diamonds, with, with those diamond bars. Yeah. And doing the research, you know, I found it so amazing, you know, the, the four C's, you know, where, where there's so much variation with the clarity, you know, the carrots of the diamonds, you know, how big the diamonds are, the cut of the diamonds, all those things, like you said, 
very impressed, but you've found a way to kind of standardize it. And, and, and so that then it's kind of, you know, even everybody knows what they're talking about, right? Um, exactly. Every bar is the same. What's unusual about diamonds is that I'm sure you notice if you ever try to buy one as a diamond gets larger or if it becomes colorless or if it becomes flawless, the price goes up exponentially. Yeah. And that's what makes it complicated. You can't just put the same weight or the same color. You have to actually correct for all of those nonlinear price impacts. So what we had to invent is a way to standardize across every variety of diamonds. And we do it using statistics. Every bar is a statistical sample of all the different carat weights, colors, and clarities so that they always add up to be the same. That sounds pretty complicated. Diamonds are, are small, you know, that, mm-hmm. I, they're, they're tiny. And so I would imagine that because of that, they're hard to really kind of come up with that solution and uh, kind of getting all that statistical kind of mean, maybe, I guess you're saying like, yeah. How yeah. do you discover that? Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's people are usually surprised. They say, what do you think diamonds are, are going to be worth? And I, you know, we have no opinion. It's not our job. We don't have an algorithm. We don't have a, a estimate. We have no opinion whatsoever about what diamonds are, are worth. Our job is to force price discovery, which means we force the market to tell us and tell everybody else what diamonds are worth. And for us to do this, it, it relies on the law of large numbers. We can't buy eight diamonds and put them in a coin or a bar. We have to buy about 10,000 diamonds at a time. And the way we do that is using automated market making. And essentially, that means we bid on every possible type of diamond, every carat weight, every color, every clarity. We don't have a limit. We simply bid until somebody says yes mm-hmm. somewhere in the world. So the key for us was we had to build an exchange. And we have right now 185 members, which are most of the largest diamond companies in the world. And they have hundreds of thousands of diamonds. And we bid on all of those diamonds. We have about a million bids a day that we make. And through that process, we force price discovery and we buy a statistical sample of all diamonds. Amazing. My question was, and you you alluded to before, like who determines the price of a diamond? Like, you know, me as a shopper, the person determining the price is is the salesman, you know, the the zero. Uh, they're telling me what the ring is going to cost because of the diamond. You you talked about having an exchange, and yeah. I, you know is, is that basically where the price of the diamonds are determined? Because yeah, you're trying to so even beyond I, that, right? You're trying to open that. I like to joke that when people say who sets the price, I say Adam Smith, <laughs> okay, the, the famous Scottish uh, economist with you know to talk about the invisible hand of the market. So we are, we're regulated. So we cannot buy any diamonds in secret. Every diamond we buy, we have to make a transparent bid on this exchange that all the vendors can see. We bid, we're not stupid, we bid low. You know, we're working for our clients, the investors, as an agency. So we bid low and we slowly raise our bids automatically because there's millions until somebody in the world says yes. And so we have our diamond buying is actually in every major diamond country around the world, like India, Hong Kong, Dubai, Israel, Antwerp, Bangkok, wherever there's diamonds, we're there making a cash bid 
to get the lowest price for our clients. And that lowest price is the market clearing price. In essence, I would imagine that you are a different player in that exchange oh, in yeah. that that most of the people, most of the entities or companies in that exchange are diamond, let's say dealers, brokers. And what you are doing is, you know, yeah, you know, you are dealing in diamonds, but you're also creating a, a financial product out of it to kind of maybe open up investment into this opportunity that you see. Yeah. So the, the word for that is a market maker. And that's never existed in the diamond world. There's never actually been any exchanges. I mean, there's there's venues where people show diamonds for sale, but a market maker forces price discovery. We have to buy, so we keep bidding until somebody says yes. You may not want to say, you may not like our bid, but I like to say somebody always needs shoes for their baby, which yeah. means they're going to take that price. And you know, once it's up to a fair enough level, and that's fair price discovery. We don't have any algorithm. We don't have any you know, mechanism. We simply bid until the market tells us, yes, that's the right price for every little different type of diamond. And, and the importance in that is that it's regulated. I mean, that what I think is so important because like you said, it's transparent and it's not, there's no sort of, you know, uh, hiding behind the deals or whatever. It's, it's out there and the public knows what it is that you are, you know, purchasing yeah. diamonds for. Yeah. We charge a 3.5% fee. And we don't charge the clients. We basically deliver 96.5% of the diamonds that we would have. We, we hold back 3.5%. So people don't really even see the fee, but people wonder, how do you guys make money? Well, there's your answer. There's so a, the key is to make it very transparent and fair. And our goal is to increase volume. So we're, for example, enabling investors to allocate the diamond through a fund, through a spot commodity like these, where we have approval for futures and options here in the United States, and we're building additional products around the world to make it convenient vehicles, uh, especially ETFs. So um, for, for an investor, right? Because we have a lot of our, our investment community, our communities are looking always to look at these alternative investments, things that maybe aren't traditionally available. How can inv an investor sort of get in on what you guys are building? Like what is, what are the products that they can buy? How can they do it and, and how much? So our, our entry level product is called the diamond standard coin. The coins are much smaller than the bars. You see the, in the bar, the diamonds are all much larger. And you know, as diamonds get larger, they get much more valuable. So the coins, you know, we don't set the price of the coins. It's a market price. We looked it up on Bloomberg to find out every morning. Right now, these are about $4,950 on, okay. on the market. And we sell new production at the spot. So a client comes to us, they can buy one coin. They can buy a million dollars worth of coins. We actually use their money. And as their agent, we buy the diamonds. It takes us about 20 to 30 days to deliver the coin. You have a choice. If you say to us, I want, I want it in my hand, I want to keep it in my sock drawer, no problem, we send it to you, or actually the Gem Lab sends it to you, or most clients actually keep their coins and bars at Brinks. And the benefit of that is when you keep it at Brinks, number one, there's no sales tax because we put our Brinks vault in Delaware. Mm. And number two, 
when this is at Brinks, you can trade it 24 hours a day, meaning you can sell it at the market price to another investor. So, so someone can go on your on the site, say, you know, on your company site and go and, and purchase one of those coins or one of those bars. And that's how they can immediately kind of start investing. Yeah, but the minimum is 40, about 49.50 because that's how much a coin costs. So I, I guess I want that gets that does me into kind of the opportunity for diamonds. And I, you know, in, in listening to other, you know, interviews that you've done and, and some podcasts and some, you know, even, you know, workshops, essentially you've done uh, as a spokesperson for, for diamond standard, you, you believe that right now is sort of a very unique opportunity to kind of get into diamond investing kind of in the way, you know, and I don't know if I can compare it to gold. I, I just doing the research. I saw, for example, gold from 1979. If you was about three hundred and eighty dollars an ounce, and there were there are a few spikes there, but from nineteen seventy nine, in two thousand four, the cost of gold was about three hundred eighty dollars an ounce. So for twenty five years, gold didn't really move all that much. That's right. Onto it, but then something in two thousand four, it took off. Right, the price of gold took off. Um, and yeah. there, I think different reasons for that. Do you feel like we're in that point for diamonds where we are, you know, on the verge of a breakout almost? Yeah, I'll tell you exactly what happened. And it was in 2002 was the first gold ETF was Mm. launched by State Street. And the gold ETF grew by 47% per year, compounded the AUM. So it went from a few hundred million to 60 billion. And that accumulation by investors is what drove the price of gold up more than 5x because gold hit about 2000 during that that time frame. So the exact same thing, by the way, happened with uranium two years ago, where the very first time in history, there was a uranium fund. And that fund raised about 4 billion over one year. And it was launched by, there were actually two, Sprott and Yellowcake. And those funds drove uranium up by about 50 to 60% in that time frame. So if you look at every precious metal, gold, silver, platinum, palladium, rhodium, the investors of the world consistently own at least 15% of every precious metal, even platinum and palladium and rhodium. Investors own 15%. They use it for a hedge. They use it as a store of wealth that can't go bankrupt, right? A bond mm-hmm. or a stock could always go bankrupt. Or, and some people use it for speculation, but most investors use it as a hedge. We think that diamonds, now that they're becoming available for spot trading, futures, options, and exchange-traded funds will come out soon enough. We think that investors will buy 15% of all diamonds. That will have the similar impact to, to what it had on gold. And so we really do think that diamonds have the potential to go up 3, 4, 5x from where they are today. And today they're really near their all-time low, by the way. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things I, I kind of imagined was 2004, and that's kind of around the time that, um, you know, a lot of these new products, Apple, you know, iPhones, and a lot of, a lot of precious metals are being used to produce iPhones, uh, you know, iPads, and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of gold was being used for SIM cards, for example, and for motherboards. Um, these micro, these microchips as well. And I was just curious, like if, if, if that drove the price as well, and then equivalently, like with diamonds, 
where you see where there's these breakthroughs in science, right? Where they find different ways. And I'm, 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 I'm always curious, like how they're using diamonds for health and, and, you know, for, for certain, uh, different, different reasons than what you would think initially. And I'm wondering if those yeah. diamonds are sort of on that verge of a breakthrough as well. I don't, I don't, I don't think natural diamonds. So natural diamonds overwhelmingly are used for jewelry, 99%. And in fact, there's a lot of synthetic diamonds now, which are useful for industrial applications. It's easier to grow tiny little diamonds consistently and use that for grinding, for example, mm-hmm. than it is to sweep up scraps and, and, get, and sort them. So we see a lot of applications for synthetic diamonds in, in industry and in things like computer chips as a replacement for silicon wafers. You could use diamond wafers, and there's people experimenting with that. But a lot of people ask me, what's the impact of synthetic diamonds on jewelry? Because that's the main driver for natural diamond demand. And it's interesting, if if you look at the uh, demand for synthetic diamonds, it's grown tremendously, but the price has fallen precipitously at the same time. So Mm -hmm. the actual dollars spent on synthetic diamonds has actually been falling. Uh, because synthetic diamonds have fallen by about 90% in value in the last four years. And it's simply because the marginal cost of making a synthetic diamond is is near zero. But they've done a really good job of marketing synthetic diamonds, and they've convinced a lot of millennials in particular, or even younger people, that they're ethical or using up carbon from the atmosphere, which is all false. They're terrible as, as far as consumers of power. But most importantly, synthetic diamonds simply have no value behind them. They are printed. One, one person can run 500 machines, whereas for natural diamonds, there's the exploration, the mining, the equipment, the taxes, the labor. It's real economic value. And that's, that's what's important to society is that natural diamonds have economic value create jobs. They're lifting millions of people out of poverty. And so what we're seeing is that synthetic diamonds are kind of in the decline because a lot of consumers have realized the markups are 10x uh, or more. And that the moment you walk out of a jewelry store with a a synthetic diamond, it's literally worthless. You couldn't sell it for anything. But a natural diamond, we're now right now building the world's largest recycling center where we're going to start buying back diamonds from consumers in order to put into our commodities. Very interesting. And you mentioned something about uh, uh, industrial diamonds, right? And the synthetic use. And I want to be clear that the diamonds that you are putting into the the, the bars and the coins, they, they, they are referred to as, as gem quality diamonds, they're, right? Well, they're natural. They're mined yeah. out of the earth and they're gem quality. So, between the coin and bar, you'll see we use the whole range of size. What you can't tell is we also use the whole range of color and the whole range of clarity. So basically, over 90% of what you would find in a jewelry store is what's in the coins and bars. So yes, gem quality used for jewelry, basically. How easy or difficult, let's say you throw, I don't know, a thousand diamonds, you know, same size, maybe similar in size to what's in your bars or coins. Let's say you throw in, a, out of those 1,000, you throw in 100 synthetic diamonds. How easy is it to pull out those 100 diamonds? 
Oh, it's very easy. That's another yeah. that's another myth. A lot of consumers think there's no difference between a natural diamond and a synthetic diamond. There's no difference if you look at it with your eye. You know, you can't tell the difference. They're chemically the same, but physically they're they're easily distinguished in a gem lab. So a gem lab has equipment they can sort, you know, a, a hundred diamonds a minute mm-hmm. or more and and detect the synthetic diamonds very quickly. So the and all of our diamonds are actually double inspected by two competing gem labs. I, I've never known of a synthetic diamond to get through any gem lab, by the way. They're they're very readily detected. So they go through sort of a, a an authentication process, which I know is huge when you're dealing with, you know, these assets. Double authentication. You mentioned something interesting. You mentioned the ETF. You mentioned, uh, you know, futures contracts um, and kind of that being the way to build the market. And I, I don't know if you referenced it before. I think you did where diamonds are a $1.2 trillion market. That's and right. right now, invest in the investor side of it has about 1% of that, where most other precious metals are at about 15% or, That's right. or, or more. So uh, about a futures contract, right? And and creating these financial products, and, and you mentioned it before, it grows it grows the value of the assets, and then that's kind of the the big impetus, right? But what else does it do? Like when you when you have those financial products out there, I mean, does it almost like legitimize the market? Very much so, but there's also some technical aspects. So when you're a asset manager, like a like a Pimco or a Fidelity, when you hold assets for a customer, you have to have the ability to mark to market using a national market price. That's a price that's discovered on a regulated exchange. And so by having it on a futures contract, that opens up a much larger group of clients being asset managers, institutions, pensions, et cetera, that can build a a position for the very first time. Right now, the overwhelming majority of our clients are actually family offices, sovereign wealth funds, and individual investors. We can't yet sell to an asset manager because they need that futures product to create a, an auditor-approved mark-to-market price. But it also unlocks a few other things. There's a whole world of hedging. And if you're a, a diamond mine or if you're a company like Tiffany's where you have billions of dollars of inventory of diamonds, by having a futures contract, you can, you can hedge. And you can use it as a, a way to protect against price increases or decreases in uh, you know, diminishing the value of your inventory. So all the mining companies, they hedge every other metal that they mine, but they've never been able to hedge diamonds. Nice. So the futures contractor are being eagerly anticipated by, by both the industry side and the financial side of the market. So in, in essence, what the futures contract would do is allow – say asset managers and maybe down the road, you know, in, in individual investors, you know, potentially the, the ability to do kind of what you're doing right now, which is set bids, right. But for, for themselves, for, you know, for them, for their customers or for themselves individually. Yeah. Um, well, you can do that now in the spot market, right? So we have a spot market on our website where anybody, yep. you just have to register. Anybody can be a market maker and you can bid right now. So for example, if, if, if you bought 10 coins and you decide, I want to sell two of them, you put them on the spot market and you're going to get bids from other buyers. So someone doesn't have to buy from us. They can buy from the secondary market today. 
And uh, but the but the futures will make that just on a much larger scale. But the other thing that futures do is they have margin. So you can have easily 10 to one margin. So you could put a, a million dollars down and trade $10 million with the futures contracts or even more. And so a lot of institutional investors like to use that margin. Gotcha. How close do you believe you are to the, the that futures contract I saw? I was, I was reading an article about the, you know, the, in the financial times, I think you had a, an article out and it was interesting. It was, a. Uh, uh, Applying to, and I don't know if this is still happening, applying to the Minneapolis uh, Grain Exchange. We got mm -hmm. that approval. So we have approval. And, and the way the futures world works, you have the CFTC. That's the regulator. And then you have two types of firms, a marketplace and a clearing. So it's called a, a DCM and a DCO. Those are the licensees of the CFTC. And those are what those are the firms that need to give you approval. And so we have approval from both a marketplace and a clearing organization. So we're right now developing the futures contract. We're also developing options. My guess is it takes six to nine months before before those are live. And part of it is we have to get the float up higher. And the real problem we've had is nobody wants to sell. We have a lot of, we have over 5,000 investors who have positions, but they all understand the long-term investment thesis is they want to wait until there's a futures contract, there's an ETF, because they know exactly what happened with gold is that that demand is going to drive up the price. So we have a hard, we have a, a lot of uh, bids, but not enough asks on our secondary market. I, I guess that that'll dove me into a little bit, and we talked about this before, kind of going circular a little bit, but it, it, everything adds to the conversation is diamonds themselves, you know, like, you talked about, for example, synthetic diamonds kind of having their peak and maybe now you're kind of seeing them come down. Um, and we did talk a little bit about innovations with, with diamonds and things like that. But how, how big is that demand for, for diamonds? Is that something that like um, is, is cyclical, uh, just like any other uh, thing? Yeah. yeah. Does it have staying power, you know? Well, yeah. So far, diamond demand for natural diamonds has grown pretty consistently on the order of four to eight percent per year. Recently, there's been a lot of growth in China, right? A lot of um, you know Chinese consumers have been more likely to to invest in luxury goods. In the United States, that's been more of three to six percent growth. It's more at the high end. If you look at uh, Richemont or Cartier or Tiffany's. And you look at their revenue forecast, they, they forecast that kind of growth. What's interesting is that even though that demand has been growing, the supply of new diamonds has actually been falling. And what's notable is that they haven't discovered any diamond mines for over 20 years. The last mm -hmm. mine was discovered in northern Canada. And by mine, you know, diamonds grow in basically volcanic pipes called, called kimberlite pipes. And by mine, I mean that the actual pipe. They haven't discovered one in 20 years. The last ones are Canada. They'll find diamonds that get washed out over millions of years, like out in the ocean. But that's not like the concentration of a mine. So the supply of new diamonds is falling by about 2 to 4% per year. So you got rising demand, falling supply. And that's, you know, especially last year, that drove the price up about 20%. This year, it's down a little bit. So we think it's a good buying opportunity because the price is softened, and now we think it's 
about bottomed out. Uh, but long term, we think that economic outlook of increasing demand and falling supply is going to drive prices, plus the demand from investors is going to accelerate that. That's fascinating. I didn't know 20 years is a long time. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, going 20 years without discovering a, a petroleum reserve or something. And you know yeah. that the big oil companies are, or, you know, are constantly seeking. You know, they're you know, looking. Uh, you know, do you have any insight on, on, on that competition? Like, are there mining companies out there really looking for new mines, you know? Yeah. So Rio Tinto, for example, one of the largest mining companies in the world, they were one of the largest diamond producers, but their mine is empty. So these diamond mines, because they're a pipe, once you extract that pipe, you're done. There's no more. It's, it's very different from gold. When you find gold, you can usually dig deeper. You'll get less yield per ton, but there's still more. It's just more expensive to get. With diamond mines, once the pipe is extracted, it's, it's done. So Rio Tinto closed their major mine uh, a year ago. They've been searching for a replacement for 20 years. The only new source that's really of any note has been De Beers. They just launched their fifth ship. It's these giant, giant ships that are scraping the bottom of the ocean off the coast of, of South Africa because these rivers basically underground, they'll wash out, they'll go through these volcanic pipes and they'll wash diamonds out to sea over millions of years. So that's the only new source that they've really found is diamonds on the bottom of the ocean. That's, that's incredible. So the future look, you know, the, you got, you got a, a rising demand, kind of decreasing supply. Kind of last question, you know, with, with diamonds at this point, you kind of see them as a good, you know, store of wealth, store of, of value almost. Like you said, people are, I say value because they feel like they're getting in on, on a, a commodity that, or a, an asset that is going to be commoditized, commoditized soon and potentially see some growth. I, I wanted to have that kind of opinion from you. And also like, what, what are though at the same time, some of the things that can go wrong, right? Some of the, uh, the weaknesses maybe in the market or some of the threats. Yeah, there's always risks. Uh, what I look at, the way I look at diamonds, you know, I, I've been a systematic trader for a lot of my career. And so diversification is a key, key, um, you know, important attribute of any portfolio. And so diamonds are interesting in a portfolio because they're diversification. They're a hard asset that can't go bankrupt. And it's like gold. Diamonds are not going to go to zero the way a bond could or a stock could. But I think unlike gold, they have a, a large upside surprise. So it's like gold with upside. And that's not guaranteed that there'll be you know outsized return. But if it catches on the way we think it will with the futures and the options and the institutional investors, diamonds could catch up with gold and go up five or five or six X in five or 10 years. So it could be a very significant upside surprise. There's also some applications for diamonds, which are interesting. And part of it is because of, of our bar, we have a computer chip inside the bar that stores a blockchain token. We have a regulatory license for a commodity token. And that means this is the only asset on earth that's really both physical and digital because the blockchain is inside. It's blockchain native. And so we have a lot of companies that are seeking to use this asset to asset back digital transactions. 
to asset-backed payments, for example. And a lot of these payment networks, especially things like stablecoins, are being looked at by regulators as being securities. And therefore, they may get clamped down. They may get shut down, which would, which would be a real problem for their users. So we kind of accidentally created a digital asset that can be used for payments, which might be a use case that causes a lot of demand that we weren't expecting. So 15%, you know, being what people hold of palladium, it could be 25% of diamonds with that unusual use case. Uh, as far as risks, you know, synthetic diamonds are a risk. You know, there's been a lot of PR that, uh, that younger consumers are buying synthetic diamonds because they think they're sustainable. They're really not. But what you're about to see is a, just a flood of cheap, cheap synthetic diamonds on the market, which is going to make people realize that it's like a fake gold chain. That, yeah, it looks like a gold chain, but it's just, it has no value. And uh, as long as the lab can tell the difference, they're, they're, that's going to continue to, to bifurcate. But, but that is a risk. And I think that's the, probably the main risk. Cormac, thank you so much for talking about the company, but also talking about just, you know, the, the diamond industry in general, kind of the, the, the things happening around the industry and, 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 and you know, teaching us some new things. Um, what are the best ways for an investor, right, like our community to kind of check out uh, the company and, you know, if, if there's a call to action for our readers and our listeners. Yeah, well, we have a lot of research at diamondstandard.co. That's our website. As you mentioned, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal has done five articles about Diamond Standard. You know, look at the research, look at the data that we provide, look at the coverage from institutional press. And I think people will understand pretty quickly that in the main thing we try to educate is that this is really a new opportunity and it's legitimate. It's regulated, it's safe, and anybody can get started right now for $5,000. So it's not super accessible, but you know we, we make it easy to get started by buying directly from the producer and you don't pay all these markups the way you do with other investment products. It's, it's been a blast learning about the Diamond Standard, listening to you. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Cormac Kinney, the CEO and founder of Diamond Standard. Best of, best of luck, most, much success to you guys. Um, I know that Alts, we are a big fan, um, and, we, and our company is investing uh, for our fund uh, into some of, the, some of the products of Diamond Standard. So um, we are believers as well. And I uh, just want to thank you for coming on, Cormac. Thank you. We appreciate it. It's great to meet you. It was great. Thank you so much. Right, bye-bye. Cormac definitely made a case for why now is a good time to invest directly in diamonds. With futures contracts and potential ETFs being developed, Cormac is placing a calculated bet that the diamond standard coins and bars will be the financial instruments to lead the way for institutional and individual investors. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Cormac. To learn more about diamond standard, make sure you read our deep dive or just Google the company name to find the numerous media outlets they've done interviews with. As always, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Until the next time, take care.